you'll never heal in the same place that made you unwell. Hi, welcome to the Burnt Chef Journal. This is our first in a series of a brand new podcast hosted by myself, Chris Hall, the founder of the Burnt Chef Project. Today's guest is Tony Lewis, who previously has worked for the likes of Carluccio as a development executive chef, and also Jamie Oliver. And he talks about his past within hospitality, gives some great advice for those looking to get into hospitality straight out of college, and also talks about the time where he too experienced mental health issues and how he's dealt with those and overcome those. I hope you enjoy the conversation and thank you for joining us. Uh, today, my guest is Tony Lewis. Hi, Tony. Morning, mate. You're right. Very well, thank you. You? Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you very much for the invitation. I'm I, I'm absolutely ecstatic to be here. Like I'm absolutely over the moon that you you said, listen, geezer, you fancy a, a quick chat? I was like, amazed, amazed. So thank you. Yes, good. No, you're welcome. I mean, Tony and I have known each other for uh, not that long, actually. It's the Burnt Chef project that we sort of started talking uh, specifically when we launched our wellbeing check-ins on Friday. But um, you know, you've had some amazing points, a great insight. You've been a, a you know an absolute trooper when it comes to rallying the cause so I couldn't uh, couldn't have thought of anyone better so welcome to the first podcast we'll see how we go with this and hopefully uh, you know we'll end up keeping it I know you and I chat chat the hind legs off a donkey so we'll probably be going for four hours so <laughs> set, if you're listening settle yourself in it could be a long one um, so Tony I've uh, you know I know a little bit about your background in terms of you know working for the likes of Jamie Oliver but just explain to the listeners uh, sort of who you are where you're based and 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 what your relationship with hospitality is. Yeah, so uh, thanks. Um, so I started in catering at the age of 15, back when you really couldn't start at the age of 15, which was quite interesting. Um, and, and that was working for uh, Whitbread, actually. So I did nearly a 10 year stint with Whitbread um, and went my way up from uh, pot wash and, and kind of what was then a prep chef, I suppose, um, all the way to head chef, um, and then was asked to look into doing some development stuff with them. Um, and that was quite exciting. And then really found, I was asking myself loads of different questions at the time of, of is, is this what chefing's all about? And it was, a lot of it was uh, pre-packaged or, 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 or volume packed or volume prepared or, or pre-bagged sauces and that kind of stuff and really didn't find it as much of a challenge, I suppose, as what I did when I started. When I started, I was completely wet behind the ears and, and it was obviously the first kitchen I'd ever been in, except my nan's baking a, you know, baking a cake, you know what I mean? <laughs> nice. um, and the head chef was, was the same head chef for the same eight years until I became head chef and he moved on to a different restaurant and, and then sort of thought, well, actually, what else is there you can do in a kitchen apart from boil stuff in a bag? Like, surely this isn't all you fucking do, right? So, um, then had a look round, and, and at the time, I suppose it was 23, 24, 25, I was looking around at different sort of chefs that were influential back then, 20 years ago, and, and there wasn't many. Um, there was Gary Rose that was campaigning with everything with sugar in it, which was amazing. Um, and then there was there was Gordon Ramsay that was just square, was swearing at everyone, and, and that's that's all he did, I suppose, at the time. And, and at that time, that was equally the only thing my head chef ever did at me, was, was either shout at me or throw a pan. So... They were, I suppose at the time, the only real influences that, that were around. Um, and then questioned it and thought, is this it? 
moved over to Carluccio's in which I, I joined Carluccio's as a sous chef at the time. And then that was in London, was still in London at the time and was opening a new restaurant for them and really enjoyed the buzz of that. There was, you know, it was scratch cooking every day. You were baking bread and sauces and soups and you name it, we baked or produced it on site, desserts, we baked it, made it, panna cottas, you know, chocolate fondants, whatever it was, we were making them and, and, and absolutely loved it. Loved, loved the high pace, loved the volume, loved the food, loved the, the decor, the people. It was, it was just the family. And I did another nearly 10 years with those guys. And, and it was, again, it was all the same people that were kind of progressed through the ranks. And at the time there was probably only 15 or 20 Carluccio's at the time. Um, and, and that was, it was great. It meant you were on first name terms with everyone and everyone in the business knew you and you knew everyone in the business. And, and it was, it was, it was brilliant. Um, I did a hell of a lot of openings. I think I did 20, 25 openings. I think I've never really sat and, and written them all down, but it was probably between 20 and 25. Then it was equally, um, I then moved into um, Manchester and they offered, offered me a role to open some in Manchester and without even consulting my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time and didn't even consult with her, just said, fucking yes, let, let's, let's move tomorrow. <laughs> Came home and said, listen, do you fancy moving to Manchester? And she said, no, what for? And, um, and told her, and we were working for the same business at the time, we we're in different restaurants um, and, and she was like, well, never really been to Manchester and, you know, what the hell's up there and that sort of stuff. And, and she, you know, we took a trip and she came up and she loved it. And she thought, you know what, this is great. You know, we, we were in a, a sort of a two bedroom flat at the time in London and, and didn't really think we would ever get to a point in London where most people don't of being able to afford a three or four or five bedroom house unless you've pushed your grandparents down the stairs. So... <laughs> um we we thought you know what fuck it Let, let's 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 do it we don't have kids we're not tired we're you know we're young enough that if it doesn't work we can we can go back we we're in a business that if it didn't work we could go back to london with them and and took the leap and just thought you know what let's go um and and loved every minute of it again opened a good few restaurants and then sort of evolved into an op chef as you do through brands you, you sort of evolve from head chef into ops and then became a, a sort of a, a, a regional chef um, that was doing book signings and, and demos and stuff with Antonio, which was great, um, which was a lot of fun. He's either telling you a really pervy joke or he's, he's making you eat something amazing. Um, and it's, it's as simple as that, really. Um, and again, you know, did that all over the country from Glasgow to Exeter. Um, and, and again, a load of camaraderie with some with some great chefs and some great cooks and, and and developing a load of amazing people that to this day have followed me around the country and said listen when you're moving to you know wherever or when we're doing this can I give you a shout or I've got a menu for my place we have a look at it or whatever it is and, and still kept in contact with a load of a load of amazing people um which has been still to this day it's fantastic to have people that you probably haven't seen for 10 years or or don't really have huge amounts day to day, but they'll immediately ping a message to you or a picture of a menu and say, what do you think of this? Or, or I'm applying for a job or I'm looking for that. Or what do you think? And, and you end up becoming quite a friendly consultant to sort of, you know, people in the industry, which is which is amazing to, to still be able to do and, and not necessarily see them on the day to day like you would any other sort of friends and family. And I think that's something that you'll only really get in this industry of 
um, that bond, you know, that, that sort of connectivity with, with people, be it a head chef or a manager or, you know, someone that you've trained or someone that you've moved on from. Um, a, a family bond, so to speak. Like, it's something that, it's like, you know, it's um, similar analogies in in the military and, you know, playing rugby and sort of those those close-knit groups where you rely upon each other on a regular basis to be able to thrive and and survive quite harsh environments and you build you do build something that perhaps transcends just a normal working relationship if you were sat in an office really didn't it yeah and and uh, you know i've had some brilliant people that I've, I've worked with some amazing people that you know like i said i was on a uh i was on a pub quiz with with a lot of the people that i, I did all those openings with or, or have, have done recruitment with through carluccio's that we're all on sort of different avenues and different pathways now and we were all together on a on a pub quiz on Friday night and it was great. There was a bit of Tom Kerridge on there dropping in to do a few questions and it was all industry leaders that have either done, like I said, recruitment or, or been regional directors or ops managers or general managers or recruitment or whatever it was. It was just great to have, I don't know, 30 or 40 people on, on one Zoom that you've gone, fucking hell, I haven't seen you for 10 years. And, you know, just, you know, sending each other kind of those, like, you know, jokey sort of, you know, abusive messages of what the hell are you doing on here you dickhead or you know how many how many have you got right and definitely how many have you got wrong and 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 that was great um so yeah it's 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 it is there's no other industry like it and that's the thing that i think keeps driving me forward is is the sort of the bonds the the unique bonds that you you'll i don't think you'll, you'd get in in many other industries um like you said it's it's in those physical contacts definitely it's in it's in football or rugby and that sort of stuff I don't, I don't think, or I don't feel that it's actually in anything else in terms of uh, work office bases and stuff like that. You know, I, I just don't see it being in that, but it is very, very unique to this industry. Um, and yeah, it's that, it's that bond family. Definitely. You sound like you, um, you speak quite fondly of Carluccio's. What, what was it that you think uh, within that environment made it such an epic environment to work in? What do you think that they did well? I think at the time there was, you know, when you go back, you go back 20 years, you start looking at High Street that was there 20 years ago. All the shops were full. There wasn't empty shops like they are now. You know, one in three are shut and one in two are nail bars and, and Turkish barbers, right? So back then, they were all full High Streets so of buzzing. It's a different era. Um, it was something that wasn't on the High Street at the time. When you think about, again, the High Street of 20, 25 years ago, the High Street was a Chinese restaurant, you know, that was it. There was one good Indian restaurant. There was one good uh, Chinese restaurant. And then there wasn't, you know, the huge sort of cafe era or the Italian brands that there, there are or, or have been recently. Um, and so it, it enabled them to become very successful very quickly in that there was nobody else doing um, quite simple but great tasting dishes that were pretty reasonably priced compared to some of the other competitors that sort of boomed afterwards but but it was it was very unique and it was very different and and it was equally like I said it was the same people that kind of progressed with that business so it wasn't a huge business where you never saw the same person twice this was always you know the the, the people the first five people that were general managers became the operations directors that then became the international directors that then became the opening directors and 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 took the business you know into the stratosphere, I suppose. And, and that was what was great. You, you knew all of these people quite intimately. You knew what their strengths or weaknesses or their expectations were, and you were able to grow with that. And, and that made it quite a unique, uh, a unique business to work with. Um, 
and not one that I've really worked with since, to be honest. Um, and that, that made it quite special. And I, I was there, yeah, again, uh, nine years or so. Um, and like I said, from doing cookery demos with or without Antonio, doing book signings with him up and down the country. Um, and it was a lot of fun. Um, and it, it did make it, it did make it very, very individual and very, very uh, unique. And, and then I suppose it was really halfway through that, that, that sort of journey. And there were a few others that were starting to catch on to that. And there were a few others that went actually, you know, the model's pretty simple. It was then quite easy to replicate in terms of, you know, it didn't have incredibly unique equipment or an incredibly unique style that it couldn't be replicated. And there were a few other people that, that, that caught onto that. And there were a few other, you know, brands and in, and in the industry that, that did went, actually, we could, we could do that. So yeah, there was, you know, the likes of James Italian or IRC that then came along and did sort of restaurant bar and grill and, and, and all the others. And then there were steakhouses that did the same. And then there was a few others that then just thought, actually, this is quite a straightforward model of let's, it's open for a year. They, they become pretty self-sustainable at that sort of rate, um, and it will fund the next ones. And you can just continue to grow. And there are a few that copied that. Um, and it was, it was, yeah, it was just a great, a great business to be in at the right time, I think. Um, and moving to Manchester, I've never, I've never looked back. Like I've, I've loved being in Manchester, and definitely wouldn't have the, you know, the, the sort of lifestyle that I've got here. I'd still probably be in the same two-bedroom flat now, I think. Um, with the you know the council dickheads above us banging on the door when um, Liverpool have won, um, and and then banging on the walls when Liverpool have lost, um, they they just kind of did the same. But yeah, it was just an amazing time. It's just an amazing time. Um, and then I was just going to say for those for those that are sort of listening um, now, I mean, it's all it sounds like. To be fair, you've had a pretty long stint of uh, decent decent employment through Carluccio's and Whitbread obviously sounds like a slightly different scenario. Can you tell me a little bit more about sort of uh, your your interaction with Head Chef and, and your introduction into the hospitality industry, perhaps where things weren't done as, as well? Yeah, it's interesting because, um, you know, it's quite easy to sort of, you know, sit and look at it back. But at the time, you don't realise it, I suppose. But you know, at the time, 25 years ago, you, there was only really Gordon Ramsay out there as, as, a, as, a, as a kind of an, an influential chef brand or that was, that was pinning the industry to the wall. So the only one that was coming out and saying, look at me, I'm a chef and this is, this is a great career to be in was a guy that was screaming abuse at people and, uh, and, and, and just making people cry. So there's a, a lot of people, particularly the head chef that I work with, that, that I worked under for a long time, was was exactly that, and and was only, you know, was was only a, a sort of almost a one trick pony to it. So would would only ever, you know, he was he was either throwing an insult at you or was screaming at you. So even when you were doing stuff that was great, and even though this is a you know, this is a Whitbread restaurant where you're not even producing everything every day that there's a there's a demand to be the absolute perfectionist of that pastry or sauce or whatever it is these are all pre-bought products um, and most of the time you were really only using a knife to open a packet of, of, of prepped goods rather than actually fucking prepping it so at the time, like I said, you know, you're watching TV, you get home and you're watching this guy and he's screaming and shouting at people. You go, okay, well, that's how chefs are. He's the only one that's out there advertising himself or, 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 or is, 
you know, presenting himself, right? And then you go to work and the guy's screaming and shouting and you see, okay, this is just how chefs are. The only two chefs I've ever seen in my life are just screaming at people. And you can, is, that, is that how we do it? Okay. Um, and I, I didn't really take on that, that, uh, that persona. Definitely you need to be sharp and you need to be firm and it's got to be right. And there's the spec, standard safety, implications, whatever it is, training, whatever it is, that's fine. But to stand and just scream at people relentlessly 15 hours a day, didn't really get it. And it, it, because of the only people that you'd ever see, it just kind of washed over you and you just kind of accepted it at the time. When you look back now, you go, fucking hell, like it, 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 this guy is screaming at me for, you know, for cleaning the fridge. You know, I, I'm trying to clean the fridge, you know, but I don't need to be sworn at for that. I don't need to be screamed at for that. I'm just cleaning the fridge, you know, or, or whatever it is in the middle of service, you know, being screamed at because actually, when you look at it and you go back in hindsight, it's probably just the fact that there was a lot of pressure and it's the middle of the service and he's, he's being demanded of and he's being asked for this table and you're, you're probably not quick enough on delivering this or, you know, but actually when you look at it, yeah, there's, there's, it's, it's quite a, a, a different regime to how it is now. And actually there's a lot of different people that do it in a different way now. And I certainly don't do it in that way now. Um, and, and, it, and it sometimes gets looked at as if you're quite laid back, but it's actually, it's just because you don't need to do it in that way. You know, I, I can ask you how to do something, Chris. I don't need to throw a, a knife at you to do it. You know what I mean? Like, you know, Chris, if we can catch up on the phone on Monday night, you know, I, I don't need to, I don't need to throw a pan at you to get you to do that, you know? Um, and, and it's, but at the time you, you, you think it's just how it is, or this is the industry, you know, that the GM's the same, he's very aggressive and he's screaming at you in the middle of service because he's under pressure and, um, the head chefs then echoed the exact same mentality. Um, and you just think, well, everybody around me is, is either a fucking lunatic or, you know, this is how this industry is. And so you're, you're already washed in it. You're already, you know, becoming uh, institutionalized to it or acclimatized to it. And that's just how it is. Um, and it's not until, it definitely wasn't until I got to, um probably yeah 10 years later in Carluccio's where I then started to work as a head chef around seven or eight or nine different characters and they were all accomplished or talented chefs that I'd worked with again and again since then um and they all had a different way or a different perspective and a different uh approach and, it, and the industry had evolved and and actually you were then you know, it was a little bit stricter on sort of the food safety and stuff like that. So it was adding a little bit more pressure to it. Um, but the industry had started to change and they, he wasn't the only chef that was out delivering himself or portraying himself. And then there were the likes of, you know, Hugh Fernley Witten stores that come out were very laid back or um, Jamie Oliver or Heston Blumenthal was starting to come out and you never saw these guys losing their shit. You never saw these guys screaming and throwing stuff or, um screaming in someone's faces not really what you saw was this different you know laid back uh chilled out character yes it was a lot of work and very detailed but but actually they weren't in that same that same characteristics i suppose um and, yeah, and yeah. It, it changed the industry but it, it, it took a while to change that and it's still it's still now 25 years later there's still an entire generation of chefs that have been bred and trained by those mentalities, those um, th that vocabulary, that that mentality, and that that culture, 
and they know different, but it doesn't mean that they're necessarily delivering different. And you do have to stop and think, and you know, why, why would I want, you know, now 25 years in, and I could be potentially training my daughter or my son or, um, you know, people that I'm very passionate and care about, why would I want to scream in their face to ask them to do something? Why would I want to lose my shit at them and throw them or put a slice of bread either side of their head and tell them they're an idiot fucking sandwich to get them to do something that I want? What's wrong with an arm around the shoulder or not even an arm around the shoulder? Just here's the detail, here's the expectation, and this is the implication if it goes wrong. And we train them on how it costs us a lot of money to throw that product away or it costs us in retraining to get it right. And actually there's a certain level of expectation that we demand. And if they don't fit that, then this isn't the business for them. But that doesn't mean you stand there and scream at them and put a slice of bread at the sides of their head. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a, there's a different way of doing things. And it was interesting to, to, to listen to um, a, a great chat with uh, the exec chef at Tottenham Hotspur a few weeks ago. That you that you were you know presenting and hosting and that was great to hear a very very similar like-minded sort of situation in that he'd come up through the ranks of being in these very hostile and aggressive uh, situations as a as a as a kid cutting his teeth in an industry and going well this is it that's 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 just how it is and it isn't until you get to a level of responsibility and you go actually these people are under my care and actually I might not be their dad but at times you do have to give fatherly advice or you know, I am not their bank manager, but for fuck's sake, don't spend all your salary on getting pissed, you silly git. You know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of bits that you just kind of you have to absorb, not just to be their head chef and say, there's the spec and, and that's what we're delivering, or there's the safety and that's what you've got to do with it. And you know, we we do become far more than just a head chef or far more than a you know a, a job title to everyone that works in that kitchen with you. And how I mean, like just out of curiosity, how would because a lot of these skill sets, so nowadays we see a skill shortage within hospitality. You know, you'll see your sous chef leave, so your CDP gets bumped up. You'll see your pot wash go from a pot wash to, you know, he'll be going up the ranks and following everyone in suit. Um, as a result of that, we'll find more and more people now at the age of 19, 20, 21 years old getting their first head chef role or their first sous chef role with a good ability to prove themselves when the shit gets tough at the pass, when it's going busy, in terms of prepping, you know, they know how to navigate these areas. But for a lot of people out there, they don't necessarily know how to manage people and how to get the best out of people. I certainly didn't until I was in my sort of late, late twenties, really. Um, And you sort of make a few mistakes and you realize, fuck, actually, no, that's not how you speak to a 50 year old to get them to do what you want to do. You know, it's more about, you know, giving them that, that freedom and that ability to fail, to be able to build up that rapport. But how would you say, you know, you learn, to manage those people or what the implications of managing them wrongly would be? I think um, to, to a degree, you know, definitely the first 10 years, um, there was never a management training course ever. You know, it was just, you're either screaming at someone or someone screaming at you is your management training, um, particularly for me in such a big branded industry uh, leader at the time, I suppose that Whitbread was, um, and certainly not now, um, in my opinion, but th- there definitely wasn't the sort of management training courses. Whereas when I'd moved over to the likes of Carluccio's at the time, they were very small, but very structured. And I think it's looking for the right restaurant that can give you structure is, is, is really something that you really need to look at. It's not just, 
it's all well and good going to, um, I don't know, the big high profile restaurant that you've fallen in love with or you love the head chef or you've seen this guy on TV and you think, wow, that'd be great to work for him. But what structure has he got? And you've really got to ask when you're at interview stage or when you're in the kitchen doing your trial, um, you, you've really got to look and go, what development process have you got? What, what, what progression plan is there? You know, it's all well and good, like you said, of just being bumped up. But, but what actually have you got in the way of a succession plan? Or what do you do with someone that wants to graft and someone wants to progress? Because it is also an industry that can, one, leave you in the same position for years and years and years, and you never progress and you, and you find a 50 or a 60 year old that's still a CDP or a sous chef and has never really had the right coaching or the right coach above him. Um, and that's the case for a lot. And it's also that, you, you know, you find people that just pick and choose, you know, oh, I've had enough of working here, I'll just go and work there, it's 50p an hour more. And so you go to these other places that, yeah, they might want 50p an hour more to give you, but they don't always have the structure, they don't always have a succession plan, a progression plan, and it's not massive industry leaders that have got them, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of places where you, you get in as exec chef and, and, and you'll go, why haven't you got a succession plan, you know, what is there for the sous chef that's coming up? haven't got it. What is there for a head chef? What training have we given the head chef? You know, it's all well and good that he's inherited that he's got, you know, food safety skills or he's great with a knife or he's brilliant, you know, on, on the sauce section on a Saturday night. Great. He can deal with pressure. Fantastic. But how is he training the guys coming up? And not many of them, you know, not everyone's got one, you know, not everyone's got a succession plan. And that's something that I'd, I'd really, as a, as an 18, 20 year old now, I'd, I'd, I'd definitely say, look, you know, it's, just pick your restaurant wisely. Pick your pick your, your kitchen wisely. Don't just don't just go for a name or a brand or a or a chef or or, or a character that you like. That, that's only sort of fifty percent of it. You know, you can graft for anyone. You can do 60, 70, 80 hour weeks for anyone. That's fine. But you've got to pick someone that can really look after you. And that's not every restaurant that can pick that. That's not every restaurant that can go. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, everyone will say they can do it. The problem is everyone will fucking say. Do you know what? Come and work for me because I've got this great business idea and I can really look after you. It's actually because you're a good sous chef and they want you to work 70 hours so that they can have, um, you know, daytime shifts and, and just, just sort of draw you in. And there's a lot that will manipulate you, definitely. So the guys that are coming through, it, it, it really is to just one, be cynical, question everything. Um, but two, really look for something that can really nurture you, you know, look for places that can give you a, a good succession plan. And there are places that can do it great, you know, there are, there are you know, bizarrely, there's, there's, there's garden centers that have got great succession plans because they've got um, people outside of kitchens to start helping them on a HR perspective or, or a people development plan and, and have got progression plans that can put in, it doesn't have to be a restaurant, you can pick some brilliant places that not just high street branded restaurants, there are some great independents. Just ask when you're starting out in your first, you know, when you're getting to interviews, when you're getting to a trial, when you're doing your cook off, all the way through your recruitment process, ask what is there as a succession plan? Not just if that guy leaves, do I get his job? That's not progression. That's not management training. That's not, that's not coaching style. That's, that's just default. And that's, that's very different. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I mean, we're doing a, a lot of talks with uh, colleges over the course of next year, um, including uh, we've just signed up to do a, a lecture via Zoom with multiple colleges at the same time, trying to encourage these young professionals how to look after themselves within the industry. But also there's a big topic around that of 
you know, the tides are turning with regards to these these new labor forces coming into play. And it's a case of, and from what it sounds like speaking to yourself, it is a case of actually the ball is in your court as an employee now to decide where you want to work that fits you. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to work in sort of flipping burgers in order to get a well looked after and, and you know, have an enjoyable career. You know, you can work at some great, great places. Um, you know, Sat Baines, I know, who who looks after his staff incredibly well. Um, you know, and there's people like Josh Eggleton at the Pony and Trap and Chew Magna. Again, Michelin star looks after his staff tremendously well. Um, and it's places like that that actually you can go to work. And yes, uh, you know, the waiting list might be might be slightly longer. But if anything, that's a sign to employers that these guys have got it right. You know, you're looking after your team, looking after your assets as number one. So before you get into the mix and before you get into, you know, the bubble that is in hospitality. And as you say, when you get into it, that's just the way it's done. And that's the way it's always going to be. Set yourself off on the right path. You know, don't become one of those people who just goes, look, this is it. This is the way it's going to be. And, and nothing will ever change, you know? That's yeah, it. I mean, de definitely for me, you know, as, as a kid, um, you know, the age of 10 or so upwards, you know, I remember being in my nan's kitchen, which I think a lot of us, in the industry kind of started out you know you, you're dipping your finger in the batter before that cake's being baked or you're you're playing around with doing different bakes or you're doing some biscuits or whatever and it just it sets off your in, your inquisitiveness doesn't it and you're like you know what happens if we put this in or what if we do this or what happens when you get it wrong why has it gone like that and and then all of a sudden it's that science that asks the questions isn't it of like what if we did that though but what if i put you know that on the top of it or what if we added that instead of that or you know and and it and it sparks something that you want to enjoy and and a lot of speaking to a lot of chefs that's that's kind of where a lot of them start their relationship with food or their relate or their career and relationship sort of becoming one and from that it, you, you if that's the industry you want to go into you you really do have to you know decide to make the right choice and it's not just you know, everyone will offer you that extra 50p, you know, you've got to know when to pick and choose what it is that, that, you know, what you can be offered. And it's not always the extra money that can be offered, actually, that that guy that's not offering the extra 50p may well have a far better structured plan for you, may have a far better uh, training regime or, or a better quality of kitchen that he's got far more dynamic um, sections that you can learn far more from rather than just being a one trick pony and just going to, I don't know, um, you know, a steakhouse where, like you said, you just flip burgers and do grilled steaks. And, you know, that's great. And that may offer you a bit more money, but fuck, you're going to be bored in six months time because that is the only thing you've now done for that extra 50p. Whereas six months investing in the other place, maybe not giving that extra 50p. Have you been around sauce? Have you been around pastry? Have you spent a month, you know, doing each different section and actually progressed and, and learned far more skills and just earning that extra 50p because it's it's yeah picking the right path is 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 vital you've, you've really got to pick it and and you can put the graft in anywhere you go that that is never going to be the question the question is you know you know where where is it you want to get to and is this going to get me there um and it's not always it's not always the extra money is actually ever going to be the benefit actually sometimes that you know the, the money's irrelevant I think that um, I think I agree with you 100% on that. And it's, uh, it's definitely a mindset set change in terms of how we look at 
our careers within hospitality. It leads me nicely on to um, self-care and well-being. And I think what's what's quite important about this podcast is that it's uh, it's a podcast that's opening up conversations around something that previously was quite stigmatized or quite taboo. Um, so the question for you, Tony, is, you know, have you had any brushes with periods of of poor mental health or have you known anyone or yourself that suffered from poor mental health? What was the cause and and really, how did you uh, how did you overcome that? Yeah, I mean, 100 um, percent. I suppose when I look back now, I think a lot of the time you don't necessarily realize you're in that rut or you're in that situation until you've kind of come out the other side. And that isn't always overnight. That definitely isn't the flick of a switch. Um, I, you know, um, I definitely struggled. Um, I suppose when I got to Jamie Oliver and I, I was sort of looking after sort of, I don't know, 12, 13 restaurants, I suppose, looking after them as, as an exec chef. So you're managing the sort of finances, recruitment, food safety, food quality specials, all the, the rest of the fucking stuff, traveling up and down the country, leaving the house Monday morning, 5 a.m. for your first train and you're meeting your first restaurant or your first meeting or your first whatever it is or your first call. Um, and then not getting home until Friday night, Saturday morning. Um, and it becomes, you know, the only thing you're doing. Um, you're no longer, you know, father, a husband, boyfriend, whatever. Um, you're, you're, you're only this chef. You're only this sort of mechanism. You're only this cog um, in the wheel. And my God, I, I absolutely loved the, the, I loved working for, for Jamie and it was a great role. And, and, and I'll always look on it very fondly. Um, it was industry breaking in that it stuck its head out and said, we're going to offer a bit more money or, or whatever it was. And, and, and it was a brilliant business to work in at the time. And it was at the peak of, of, of restaurants in that sort of uh, Italian, you know, sort of mold breaking that happened, I suppose, back then, 10 years ago or so. And then um, at the time when I took the job, my wife had... Uh, baby number two and was you know getting back into kind of work and, and all that sort of stuff and and I got offered a job with Jamie and thought fucking hell this is amazing this is the biggest chef in the UK um, you know there's no one bigger or better that you're going to work for you've just you've just done the kind of the Italian thing for nearly 10 years or so so you know the food pretty well you know the people pretty well the industry is brilliant um, and I was I suppose sort of riding the quest of a rave for for probably about a year and and just just never looked back and was just becoming this you know this this great um i don't know figurehead i suppose um for for your restaurants and you know each of them had their own separate exec chef or ops director or whatever and so you become quite influential in that you're sort of steering the menus and you're managing specials and you're looking after a team of, of brilliant chefs I've probably never worked with as good a chefs as i ever did there um and some of them have gone on to do some amazing stuff this country, Australia, various other places. But I suppose into, into the, the job for about a year and was absolutely loving it. And I didn't realize how distant I'd become from my, from my wife and become very distant in that, you know, like I said, I'd leave the house Monday morning, I'd get home Friday night, Saturday morning and fucking tired, you know, and you're, you're pretty exhausted. And all you want to do is put your work phone down and just switch off and you get home and there are, two kids are bouncing off you and your wife's not seen you for a week and you need to get up and do this and we're doing that and you've you've got to make up for not being here and and so you become uh quite pressurized from that and there's never any sort of real downtime and it's it's just your life you know the jamie became your life um and, and it, 
I don't think it was, I, I, I suppose, yeah, a, a year into it, I became quite, um, quite withdrawn and quite dark and, and just fixed on being a chef and, 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 and really focusing on only those things and, and, and became quite cranky um, for a lot for all the you know for for the worst reasons because you're just being selfish and just being driven to 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 just focus on this job or focus on this brilliant restaurant that you're opening or aren't i doing fucking great and it, it then becomes about you and 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 my wife then was expecting baby number three and we weren't you know in the best place and i definitely was never at home because i was just grafting in that you're you know, six days a week, not there. And even on the one day a week, you are there, you're not there because you're planning and you're on your phone and you're just checking in with emails and this restaurant's had that, that accident or this, or there's a supplier that hasn't turned up or, and then, and then, and then, and then. So all of a sudden you're not there seven days a week, even though you are and you're not there. And, and it, it just became a, a bit of a bubble that just was going to have to burst. And, and, and at the time I was in a really dark place and I remember just ringing my dad in, in, in floods of tears, just going, she's having a baby and I just don't want to be there. And, and this is really fucking hard. And my dad got in the car and said, you, you know, that just doesn't sound like you. And I, I'd become over, you know, the obsession of, of, of being, you know, reliable to all the restaurant and reliable to the food or reliable to a chef or reliable to, a, to an industry. I'd sacrificed me and I'd sacrificed my family and I'd sacrificed my wife and I'd sacrificed our children and, and that bubble burst and, and it burst, you know, the, the, the day my daughter was, was born and I, I just didn't know where to go, didn't know who to speak to, didn't know who to turn to and it was really fucking hard um, and, and rang him and just said, I, I, I need to ask you what to do because I don't know what to do. And just that phone call that phone call made me think I, I do know what to do and I've just been doing it wrong and and I, I'd really just become focused and driven and, and just on a like the bullet train and just was going steam forward and and just just had looked at things in the wrong way and and, and at the time you think it's the only way or you you know it, it creeps up on you and it's not just an overnight thing where you go this is this is insane and and why would you ever be like that and uh, it was really hard and, and I, you know, she, she, it was a great birth, my daughter was healthy and all the rest of it was fantastic and, and we came out of it and, and just sat at home and, and, and contemplated and was very quiet and my wife just kept saying, that you, you know, there's something wrong. And it was really difficult and it was, it was, it was just a, a bizarre, a bizarre time and, and you, you definitely, you, you don't ever feel like that. Normally, you know, I'm very bubbly and all the boys will ever tell you that I've ever worked with. I'm always prattling around and dancing around in the kitchen and and having fun. And, and yes, I've raised my voice, but it's not because I'm screaming at someone. It's because we're having a joke or we're laughing around or there's a good bit of camaraderie. And at the time, I just wasn't. I wasn't those things and and sat there, took a step back and thought, I, I, I need to stop. And my dad gave me some great advice and, and more than anything, just sat there and listened. Um, and and was, was there at the time where I just didn't know what to do, didn't know where to go and felt like he was in, just in a corner and there was nothing that you could do to get out of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, and yeah, just, I, I phoned the guys um, at Jamie's and just said, listen, this is my last shift. And after my maternity leave, I can't come back because I just need to do something else. I, I can't do this. I just can't do this. And, you know, 
I said to him, I've got to put my family first and I, I need some downtime and I've just become very obsessed with being a, being a chef or being reliable or being this or being that. And, and just, yeah, it just, I took a PlayStation home. I went to Tesco's, I bought a fucking PlayStation four and, and just went home and was just a dad for, for three months and, and just went home and just rebuilt um, me and some mindset and let the fog clear and, and then got into a little bit of exercise and just tried to turn things around. And it started off of going for a walk and giving yourself five minutes or 20 minutes or whatever it is, a bit of breathing space and then built on that um, and, and just started to look at things in maybe a different way and look after me and the wife and the kids and, and the house and, and, and just be more of a dad and be more of the person that everyone needed or, or actually what I needed. And that was just not to be so self-indulgent and it was just imploding and you just don't see it until you, you kind of come out of it and you go, actually fucking hell, that was, that was not great. And I, I didn't realize it was as bad as that. Mm. Um, and it's only when you look back and people go, no, no, you were, you were different and you were very quiet and you're not quiet. And it's when you become the non-characteristics of yourself, you, you should know yourself. And yeah, I definitely had become something I, I, I don't normally, I'm not normally am, you know? It's funny. You should mention how, uh, how easy it is to slip into those patterns. As you say, you, you, you don't realize you're there until you're there. And then once you're in the, in the hole and you're, you know, you're thinking negatively and you're, snapping and you're solely focused on one thing which is work and you know everything else can go fuck itself you suddenly realize shit i don't know how to get out of this as well um and a lot of people you know out there will will, will feel what we're saying in terms of the fact that you, you you're so far down that line you think oh christ what can i do but you know it's encouraging to hear that you found you found steps that that got you there i mean i'm curious to know you say you started sort of thinking better and your your fog cleared what do you reckon came first was it the feeling better about yourself or was it the thought processes that changed first which or is it a chicken and egg scenario yeah it's a good question i think for me what 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 definitely started the ball rolling there was was just stepping out of what was a very it's a passionate industry and you're either in it 110% or it's not really for you. Um, and in that particular instance, for me, I, it just started to consume me. And, and I, you know, you think you're spinning the plates really well. And at the time I thought I was, um, and then just thought, actually, I, I, I need to, I need to come out of this because I just, I'm not feeling great. And, it wasn't until I took a step out of it and, and found that I had a little bit of breathing space to then see what was going wrong. Um, I suppose it's like a, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it, it was it was just a little bit of breathing space, the right amount of breathing space for me that I could see actually, yeah, this is this is now something I need to kind of take a step out of. And and it was that taking a step out of it and, and being there for other people and it not just being about me and not just being, you know, a, a sort of a pressure cooker on me. It, you start to see actually what is it that's not working here actually i need to give to other people okay i need to actually invest in other people or i need to invest in myself right i'm just gonna go for a walk i need to go for a run and actually for me all of a sudden i realized i wasn't just walking for 20 minutes or half an hour i was i was running 20 minutes half an hour and actually christ i felt so good after that and so then i'd run 40 minutes or then i'd want to look at running you know 10 miles with a few other guys over the tough mudder in uh events and before you know it you know you're like you're, you're booking up different things and i don't like running chris i fucking hate running but <laughs> i'm with you I, I i found i found 
the exercise the the you know it was only a three or a four mile run most of the time because i just get bored but but that just it just releases so many different things from the, the frustration or the focuses or the or the aggressions or the negativity and all of a sudden you just even running in the rain and you know you just it just clears it it was yeah that was that was a really interesting point for me and um and exercise is still there to a degree i mean i don't do a lot of it now but I don't feel like I need to, but I'm quite happy to just, you know, if you said to me, you fancy a run tomorrow? Yeah, I'll run, no problem. But um, I I don't feel like I have to run. Do you know what I mean? Like, there are points in your career, I think, where you go, actually, I really need something to vent on. I really need a focus out of work. I need something that's going to clear my mind. And for me, the running did that or exercise did that. Um, and, and definitely, yeah, I've, I've, particularly now, that, that was six years ago now. And definitely that's, that's just been that mantra since is actually okay a little bit wound up you know clear my head once a month every couple of weeks even once a week doesn't matter but just get out half an hour to myself back refreshed clear mind focused now it was just it was a nice little reset and just does the trick now it's amazing it is amazing and a lot of people were put off by exercise especially when we're you know you were working 60 78 hours a week living off of fried chicken and, and chips and you know, it's difficult when you think of exercise because you're thinking of, you know, gym shark and you're thinking of muscle ripped, muscle ripped people and, you know, going for marathons and stuff. But exercise has become this culture of looking at us and how we look, but it's not actually promoted for how we feel. And that's the important thing about exercise. Exercise doesn't have to be a marathon. Doesn't have You don't have to be toned with like 3% body fat on you. It's all about how you feel afterwards and i'm the same as you i fucking hate running my knees cane afterwards i can't do it i look like a frog honestly it's it's awful it's terrible but um if there's anything that's happened during rugby is that uh, during rugby and of running luckily in rugby i don't have to run too far but um in running is that you actually get quite moments of clarity and some of the best ideas and some of the best thoughts i've had and you stick on a podcast and go certainly for the burn chef project have been whilst killing myself running but um it's a really good yeah it's a really good point and then gradually over time you start to start to as you say you start to feel better and you notice your thought patterns are changing and and it's just these small little tweaks but um it's a really good point it's a really good point so tony um we'll we'll, we'll close this up in a minute but um one thing i wanted to ask you and i want to ask sort of all of our guests moving forward is if you were to write a letter to uh, to yourself Back, uh, back before Whitbread, when you were looking at employment opportunities and you wanted to get into the industry, what would you have said? Uh, what would you have written to yourself? What advice would you give? I think, it, it, mate, it, it's it's a it's a brilliant question. I think um, th there's there's a couple of bits to it. You know, it, it's you've you've got you've got to know when to say yes and when to say no. Is 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 definitely part of it. You know. You, you, you can't just say yes to everything every week for 25 years. If there's, you know, I, I fucking know that firsthand, but, but you, you, you just can't, you know, at some point you're going to have to go, I'm not doing that or I can't do that until, or you'll need to find someone else or I'll find someone else to do that because you just can't, you know, you can't commit like that forever. Um, so just knowing when to say yes and when to say no um, is definitely part of it. And it's also don't chase for me definitely don't chase money chase 
opportunities and they're not always the same thing. You, you can go somewhere anywhere for that extra 50p a pound an hour more, great. But what's it giving you at the end of it? Is it giving you something back or are you just giving you? Are you extinguishing you? Or actually, is there anything that's coming back? Is there anything you're learning or gaining or earning from that? You know, a wage is one thing, but actually experience or skill set or um, people, life connections, you know, those are actually far more important, you know, than, than the extra money or, or you know, it's just... It, choose you over over money sometimes it isn't a bad thing but yeah choosing the right places to work or the right places to say yes at is is just invaluable you know um, put yourself first there's nothing wrong with putting yourself first and, and those people will go yeah okay that's fine you know that that's okay if you can't do it no worries but who can do it i can't do it but i have actually got someone else who will do it or you know it can be picked up at a later date that, you know, just know when to say yes and when to say no. Some really good points. Yeah. I think it's, uh, it's often easier said than done, especially when you're, um, you know, you're young, 17, 18 coming into the game. I mean, I'm, <laughs> Christ, I would, uh, I mean, I'm probably a lot better at saying yes and no now running a business and other things still wouldn't disagree with my wife. Um, <laughs> yeah. Again, you learn that as you get older as well, you just sort of agree and, uh, nod your head for a quiet life. But, um, yeah, I think it's about knowing, knowing yourself and getting to know yourself. And if you don't know yourself at the moment, don't panic. Like at the end of the day, you will get to that stage. But it's um, it's not being afraid to to be an individual within a business and to be unique and to speak your own mind, providing you do it in the right way. I think it's a, it's an important point, and it gives you a good degree of control that perhaps you wouldn't um, you wouldn't have necessarily realised how valuable that is. Uh, to be able to, to to fill those shoes, really. So thank you for that. Um, is there anything else in terms of uh, resources or anything that you would perhaps like the listeners to hear to that perhaps if they are either starting their journey or they're on their journey and think that perhaps would set them on the right path? I think oh, there's, there's a few different things, you know, give yourself time, give yourself space, but make a plan, you know, make, make plans. You know, if... If a business is great, don't look to leave it. Look at what it can give you and, and push to see what it can give you back. Um, journaling is, is brilliant, is, is a great resource for, for, for just mind dumping, for a better word of it. I, I, you'll, you'll probably know of a better way of phrasing it than I will. But, you know, just sometimes taking what's in your mind and actually putting it onto a piece of paper, if that's right, I'm going to open my own website, I'm going to run my own business or I'm going to do a podcast or I'm going to, uh, I don't know, I, I've got a great recipe that I want to do. Don't just leave it in your mind to whirl and whirl. Put it down, write it down, put it onto a piece of paper. And actually a lot of people I've, I've actually given recipe books or blank journals as, as gifts for people. And at the time they're probably thinking, what the fuck is he giving me a blank book for? But actually it's probably because they've not realized what that blank book is worth sometimes. And actually something with no dates in it, because I think, a diary is probably a bit too more too regimented for me, um, but, but something that I just a plain notebook that I can just write that day's thoughts or feelings or um, plan for the next day is and just put it in that bit of paper, put it down, get it down and actually put it away. And actually, it's not just sitting there whirling around on your evening off or your day off. And where do I put this or where do I box it? Actually, you've got somewhere else it goes there, put it down and I'll come back to it when I'm ready for it now. And it's there and I haven't forgotten about it or it's still just buzzing around not knowing what to do or not to complete it so 
yeah, just just putting your, your thoughts and feelings into a place and just putting them into boxes and, and being able to manage your own time. Yeah. Compartmentalize. I knew you'd have a better phrase than <laughs> I would. Um, but yeah, it, it, that's 100%. You know, for me, that that's what wonders definitely the last few years as I've really understood myself. Um, and, and particularly since leaving Jamie's, I've, I've definitely understood that far more and, and thought, you know, where, where am I going in, in, in either my career or my personal life or, or, you know, understanding how to support people, you know, doing the training courses with, with you guys at Burnt Chef and, and, and learning how to then identify those, those, those people that are struggling. You can go, listen, I'll, I'll put an arm around him. You know, what, what's wrong? What, what, you know, talk to me about, oh, fucking hell, I've had a shit day, I've had this, I've had that, I've had that. It's the anniversary of someone that's passed away and I'm really out of struggle. And, okay, look, let's have a chat. Let's go outside. Let's go for a walk. Just knowing how to identify those sorts of things and not just yourself, it's other people. Um, and just, you know, leave your ego at the door sometimes um, and just enjoy other people, enjoy nurturing, have a bit of fun along the way. And just, yeah, just remember what you got into an industry for in the first place. If it was because you love food, then make sure that that's still the thing that's keeping you in it. Um, and you'll never heal in the same place that made you unwell so if you're feeling in a rut and really struggling and it's it's mentally draining in the place that you're working it's never going to help you recover by still being there so look at what you can do to kind of move on improve um and just keep going keep going i think that is a class class time to end this uh, end this first episode so uh well said my friend thank you very much for joining me and being a part of this and uh yeah look forward to seeing where it takes us yeah thank you brother it's been amazing thank you very much for the invitation no problem at all. Thanks, mate. See you soon. Cheers. Well, I hope you enjoyed that chat with Tony Lewis. Uh, if you want to learn more about The Burnt Chef Project, please head over to the Instagram or Facebook pages, The Burnt Chef Project, or alternatively, head over to our website, which is www.theburntchefproject.com, where you'll find a whole host of resources, information regarding mental health within hospitality, and loads of cool merch that you can purchase to support the project. Thank you and we'll see you soon.